Thanks, Phil. Let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, as we pause to contemplate these events of 2,000 years ago that reverberate throughout eternity, may they speak to our hearts and lives. May we make the fitting response. May we know, love, and live for this Jesus who gave himself that we might be forgiven, that we might go at last to heaven, saved by his precious blood. Amen. He had listened carefully to Moses' words of explanation. He had sought all within his power to follow the instructions to the very letter. The lamb had been sacrificed. Its blood had been smeared on the doorpost and the lintel with the branch of the hyssop. And now there was nothing left for him to do but to wait and to pray. To pray that the angel of death would see the sign and would pass over, sparing the life of his eldest son. And surely on that night, those fathers must have asked themselves, Can I, can I trust the blood of the Lamb, to see it. Cries would break the silence of that night as in home after home their Egyptian neighbors awakened to witness the terrible judgment of Yahweh. In each house, regardless of rich or poor, every firstborn son was struck down. But there was no time to brood over these events. Deliverance had come. The the children of Israel must rise up and get on their way. They, They had to enter into this new freedom that had been won for them. They didn't have time to think about how it was that the death of firstborn sons had bought freedom for them. And that drama of Passover has been recreated faithfully through centuries by every Jewish family. The solemn and sacred responsibility was to be fulfilled that they would never forget the goodness and the greatness of their God who delivered them from slavery by the blood of the Lamb. In the book of Numbers, in Numbers chapter 9, God gives very specific instructions about those who for whatever reason find that they are unable to share in Passover. Numbers 9 verses 9 to 13 reads, As follows, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying, if any one of you or of your descendants is unclean through touching a dead body or is on a long journey, he shall still keep the Passover to the Lord. In the second month, on the 14th day at twilight, they shall keep it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it until the morning, nor break any of its bones. According to all the statute for the Passover, they shall keep it. But if anyone who is clean and is not on a journey fails to keep the Passover, that person shall be cut off from his people because he did not bring the Lord's offering at its appointed time. That man shall bear his sin. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verses 
39 to 40. He said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness to me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The whole of the Old Testament is like one gigantic arrow that points us to Jesus. And this morning we note that the majestic scene that Phil read for us of the death of Jesus on the cross has as its backdrop the season of Passover. John is very, very deliberate in this. Unlike the other three gospel records, John times the moment of death of Jesus upon the cross to coincide with the very moment when in the temple courts the sacrificial lambs were being killed. And for this reason, the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church, reminding them of the hope and the confidence of deliverance that is assured to us because, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Adoniram Judson spent 30 years serving as a missionary in Burma. And upon his first return after those three decades back to America, he was conducting worship. And in his first sermon, he didn't talk about the the grave of his wife or the graves of his four children. He didn't talk about the torturous and lengthy imprisonment that he had to bear. He didn't talk about the churches that had been planted or uh, the people who had been brought to faith in Jesus Christ. Rather, he stood before that church and he preached on this theme, Jesus, the sacrifice for man. After the service, a woman came up to him and said, I was disappointed in your sermon. It was just ordinary. I was expecting more of a different message from across the world. And Judson replied, I have nothing more thrilling to tell than the story of Jesus, the sacrificial lamb. I want to just look at three simple points for you this morning as we uh, reflect on this text. Bones, blood, burial. Bones, blood, burial. Verses 31 to 33 of John 19. Read again with me. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. And again, verse 36. For these things took place, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Even though the religious leaders had got their way, even though they had badgered Pilate into pronouncing the sentence of death upon Jesus, and even though he was at this point kneeled to the cross, 
he still caused them discomfort. They could not rest. They could not be expected to give themselves wholeheartedly to the acts of religious devotion through the season of Passover if any breath as yet remained in his body. More than that, the bodies nailed to the cross would provide an element of desecration to the land on that high and holy day. Deuteronomy declares that anyone hanging on a cross is cursed by God. So once again, acceding to their request, Pilate sends soldiers to smash the legs of the three crucified men. And with their legs broken, they could no longer push their bodies up against the nails to release their lungs that they might breathe. And so death by asphyxiation would come more rapidly. But when they moved to carry out their gruesome task on the legs of Jesus, they discovered much to their surprise that he was already dead. Now hopefully you understand that Jesus had died. Not because the executioners had been so effective in their craft, but because rather he had given up his life. Men had no power over Jesus. They could cause him no harm unless he would submit to their will. No one could take his life from him. Again, as we turn back into John's gospel where we've journeyed before, John 10, 17 to 18 says this. Jesus speaks and said, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Jesus gave his life. Jesus laid down his life. And so because of this, no bone was broken. And why is this detail so important? Well, we need to understand that Jesus is our Passover lamb. He perfectly fulfills the plan of God for our deliverance. He is the perfect sacrifice for sin. Right at the very beginning of the gospel account, John the baptizer immediately recognizes the significance of the person of Jesus. John 1, 29 says this. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The soldiers did not break his legs because no bone of the Passover lamb was to be broken. Exodus twelve forty six tells us that Psalm thirty four twenty prophesied that he keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Deliverance was to be made available, not just to the Jews, but to the whole world. Through the death of Jesus, who would bear our sin. And so that same question that reverberated in the minds of those fathers in Egypt three and a half thousand years ago cries out to us, can I trust the blood of the Lamb to see it? Bones and blood. John 19, 34 to 35. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once there came out blood and water. 
He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. And again, verse 37. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him who they have pierced. The Apostle John was the only eyewitness of all the four gospel writers who record the death of Jesus on that first Good Friday. And he wants the readers to know why they can rely upon the truth of his account. But why is it so important that that John stresses these things? Professor Tom Wright explains, John needed to be there. Because before too long, people would say, did he really die on the cross? The story of resurrection is so huge. So mind-blowing that it doesn't fit into anybody's preconceived worldview. You see, men have always had this terrible folly that whenever the Bible speaks of something that is too big for us to grasp, when, when stories move even beyond our imagination, we consistently trim them down cut them back to a more manageable size and make them fit our limited human understanding. And so it wasn't very long before the church in the first decades uh, found that there was a a very influential group called the Docetists. And they began to teach that that Jesus wasn't a real man. He he wasn't truly human. He, he, He didn't really die. He just seemed to die. Docetists get their name from the Greek word, the verb dokio, to seem to appear. But John will have nothing of this. Jesus was God, the eternal word in human flesh. He was fully man. And what happens when a spear is pressed into the chest cavity of a dead man? What appears to be blood and water will spill from the wound, the two being separated post-mortem. And while expressed in simple first century understanding of the human body, this account is true. And we need to realize that that John is not giving us here some uh, instruction on human physiology. Rather, he's primarily concerned about theology. And when, when he sees blood and water, he immediately thinks of cleansing and purification. Which really brings me to the central and main point of the sermon this morning, that again and again you and I need to understand what our biggest problem is. Our biggest problem is that we, not that we are unhappy and need to be made happy again, or not that we are unhealthy and need to be made healthy again, but that we are unholy. We are unholy and sin separates. Sin Separates and destroys relationships between people. But much more significantly, it destroys relationships between us, humanity, and an utterly holy God. And people in every time and in every place have always understood that some form of atonement needs to be made for man's wrongdoing. That someone needs to pay for sin. So John, in these words, points us to the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
And he directs our thoughts, the reader's thoughts, to the words of the prophet Zechariah. It's not that long since we journeyed through Zechariah in our evening services. Zechariah 12.10 says this, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. And it's really good for us to understand that when John just plucks these verses out of the Old Testament, those texts come dripping with their context. It's not just the verse, but the, 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 the place from which it's been taken that's important. So John brings this verse from Zechariah 12, but Zechariah 13 begins like this. On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. And see, all this imagery of of sacrifice, of the sacrificial system of tabernacle and temple, is pointing us to that need of the common to be made holy. And the only way that anything that's common or unclean could be made holy was if it was sprinkled by blood. So Hebrews 9.22, the verse with which we began our service, says this. Under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. No bones were broken because Jesus had to be the perfect Passover lamb who would take away the sin of the world. And his blood was shed because this alone can bring us forgiveness. This alone can bring us cleansing from sin. This is the only available answer to our biggest problem. A lack of holiness. And without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12.4 So these two questions uh, come to us. Can you trust the blood of the Lamb to cleanse? Can you trust the blood of the Lamb to save? It's a bit like an episode of CSI or Silent Witness. Bones, blood, and finally burial. Again, Tom Wright comments. Here is Nicodemus coming this time just before nightfall. This time he's in the light, albeit only just. The body must be buried before nightfall when Sabbath begins. Joseph and Nicodemus brought what they could, a hundred pounds of spices, a hundred times the amount that Mary poured over Jesus in Bethany, John 12, 3. And that has caused, and that had caused people to grumble at the extravagance. It was the kind of quantity and quality for that matter that you might use for a king. Seventy-five Pounds of weight of spices. These men went to a lot of trouble. They buried Jesus like a king and they buried him to stay dead. They recognized him as someone special. They understood he was a great teacher, a a miracle worker, a prophet of God, the king of Israel. But they did not believe that within a little while he would rise again, conquering death. 
They, they didn't understand that his sacrifice would be accepted by his father. He didn't under, they didn't understand that his sacrifice would cover all the sins of men. They didn't grasp that they now might be able to stand before God, this utterly holy God, and be able to enter into his presence. Hebrews 12.10 says, He was offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Again, let me take you back to that quotation from Numbers chapter 9, verse 13. We began our sermon with that. It says this, that if a man would not partake of the Passover, God's word says, that man shall bear his sin. That woman shall bear her sin. And here's a key concept. We can choose to bear the consequences of our own sin. Or we can place our sin and ourselves under the shelter of the blood of the Lamb. That's a a choice everybody has to make. You have to answer this question. Can I trust the blood of the Lamb to save? Can I trust the blood of the Lamb to cleanse? Resurrection is going to prove once and for all that it is finished. It was finished. It is finished. Jesus has done all that's required that sinful humanity might come before the utterly holy God. And all that is necessary for dealing with our greatest need is this. That we receive. And believe what has been fully and freely provided for us. This amazing gift of grace. Jesus died for our sin. He gave himself for us. Our response is to receive, accept and worship him. There's an old hymn that has this as its final verse. Cast your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him, in him alone, gloriously complete. May that be your testimony this day. May you have that deep assurance that the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed you. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ has saved you. You are sure. You are secure in him. Because he said it's finished. It's done all that's required. Gifted to you. Believe and receive. And live forever because of him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your gift of grace to us in Jesus Christ. It's difficult for us to get our heads around what has happened. That your firstborn, your dearly loved son would die that we might live. That he would sacrifice himself. He would bear our punishment, justly deserved by us. He would take it on himself. That through his death we might live. Not just life in abundance now, but life that lasts forever, unbroken in endless fellowship with you. As we read of this story that we have heard so many times, may it ring true in our hearts today. May we believe. May we receive. May we rest in the finished work of Christ and serve him with our lives. Amen.